0: We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives, but the stories told by Jesus were meant to give us life. His stories were called parables.
1: Good morning, and once again, welcome to the Christian Life Center. We are so glad that you're joining us today. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Ben. I get to work here on staff, and uh, I'm also excited to share with you for week two of our parables series. So thanks for joining us today. If you are joining us online, I want to say hey, give you guys a special shout out. Also, those of you that are in the parking lot, it's a brand new world, so we've got kind of three different audiences all at the same time, which is exciting. So uh, we are glad that you're here in whatever form that you are joining us today. So uh, like I said, my name's Ben. I get the opportunity to share today. And this is kind of a continuation of the series that we have been on um, for over the last year. We, we started a series in the book of Luke. We are now in Luke chapter 14, so we're a little bit beyond half. We are excited to continue that. And this parables is kind of a sub-series of that bigger Luke series. And, and the gospel of Luke was written by a doctor by the name of Luke. That's why it's called Luke. And it was written to Theophilus, who we believe was a Roman official. And the reason or the expressed purpose of why Luke was writing that gospel was so that Theophilus could have certainty of the things that he had been taught. And so as we go through this this sub-series on parables, what we really want to do is take some time as we continue through this journey in Luke, we want to continue to talk about Jesus' teaching, go verse by verse, go chapter by chapter. But as we do that, we want to see some of the parables that he was telling, and he was talking about to his people about, as he did that, he was expressing what the kingdom of God was like. So we want to take some time and work through that and talk through that, Um, and and I'm pretty excited for that. One of the things that is pretty uh, exciting to see or to understand is that stories are a huge part of our culture, right? Right? They're a huge part of the way that we live our lives. They're a huge part of probably the way that we express ourselves within our families, within our communities. Um, How many of you know somebody that's maybe a really good storyteller, somebody that tends to tell great stories, and the way that they tell it, they just tend to capture the emotion and and kind of the, the mystery of being there? Like, if you've ever heard a really good storyteller tell a story, there's something that draws you into that. There's something that's captivating in that and as a culture, I think that's very much what we do We tend to hear stories and be drawn to stories and be captivated by the stories that are shared And jesus in his teaching did exactly that He told stories which parables is just kind of another word for for the stories that jesus told And I think jesus was probably the greatest storyteller the greatest parable speaker or person that ever existed His stories we still speak about and talk about today. There's some of the the most well-known scripture verses or some parables that we see and we understand. And Jesus, just by the life and the story that he lived, still has an impact with the stories that he talked about and the, the story, namely the cross of what he lived out. So I'm excited to share with us as we do that. Uh, I do want to give you a little bit of a background on parables as we go through this, and then even talk about five different things that we're kind of looking for as we jump into uh, this parable this morning. We're just going to be looking at about five verses. So we're going to be continuing where we, we left off last week. In fact, the first three weeks of this parable series, is looking at the same kind of, uh, the same banquet or this meal that Jesus is at. So we're kind of continuing where we stopped last week, and we'll continue that again next week. But basically, parables were a small story with big implications. This is something that Josh said last week. It was a small story, but it carried big implications to it. And Jesus often talked or spoke and taught in parables. Uh, A parable was a made-up story. It was kind of a hypothetical. Like, Jesus would see, and I think the way that he adapted his, his parables were incredible because he would see the audience, and then he would tell a story that would just perfectly illustrate and narrate what point he was trying to make. In some of the parables, what we see is Jesus would say that the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like... And then he would tell the parable, and he would tell the story. And obviously, when he does that, that helps us have an understanding of how God views the world and how we should live in light of that. So there's very important lessons to be learned in the stories and in the parables that Jesus spoke. Sometimes Jesus would take the time to explain that parable. Whether it was to the crowds, he would explain it. Or maybe it was just to his disciples later on, he would explain it. And then other times, Jesus would just tell a parable... And then he would just keep going and tell another parable and maybe tell another parable. He would just keep going. It it just kind of changed each situation and scenario that he was in. Uh, Through parables, Jesus often, uh, Jesus offers, helps offer to us who we are, who God is, and to draw some conclusions about ourselves, the kingdom of God, and about God himself. And in almost every single parable there is, there is someone who represents God or a God figure, and someone who represents us as well. And I think the purpose of a parable was really to, for Jesus and his teaching in that, wherever he was sharing that parable, was to really to get his listeners to stop and think, to kind of pause, a little bit of a timeout. And in some of the parables, maybe even like a big plot twist, right? Like it was something that they didn't necessarily see coming or there was come, kind of some shocking value to what he was saying. And, and as he said it, it would bring this kind of drama or this emotion into the conversation. And, and I think for us, it's maybe even the same thing. Maybe for us, as we go through these things, there's some truths that Jesus is trying to tell us that are hard truths. But ultimately, it's because of his grace that he wants us to see that that isn't the way that we should live, or that isn't what we should do, or how we should operate. In that difficult kind of conversation, Jesus is being gracious to us by telling this in the form of a story so that it kind of softens the blow, if you will. And so as we go through this, there's five different things that I hope that we kind of answer that you'll be able to see. I'm not going to expressly kind of go through each of these questions, but but basically as we go through this parable, there's five things that I'm hoping that we see. Number one, what does this parable teach us about God and his kingdom? Every parable we should read as uh, as we think through that, what is God teaching us about his kingdom? Number two, uh, what question does this answer for us? Number three, what is the closing punchline? What was kind of the, the, the one-sentence phrase of what Jesus is trying to teach us? Number four, what were the original hearers to learn or see in that? And then number five, what action does Jesus expect from me or from us? So I'd like to just pray for us real quick, and then we will jump back into this. So if you would, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come before you and that we get the opportunity to open your word and, and to speak, Lord, your words, that we get to see the lessons that you taught thousands of years ago, but we can relate it back to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would allow not my voice to be heard, but we would, you would allow us to hear your voice, that you would challenge us in the way that you desire to challenge us, that you would just allow us to, to hear what it is that you want to say to us today. Lord, we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we are basically picking up right where we left off last week in Luke chapter 14. So Jesus is invited to this, uh, this Pharisee's house. It's kind of one of the, the rulers of the Pharisees, so kind of a, a really high-up person. And, and Jesus is invited to this meal on a Sabbath with the express purpose that kind of the the Pharisees, what they're really hoping to do is to entrap Jesus, right? So we've seen in a couple different places in Luke 13, and again, last week, if you haven't listened to it, you can go to our website if you are interested in that, go to the media page, you can look at all of the previous messages. You can see, basically, that they're looking to trap Jesus by trying to get him to heal once again on the Sabbath. So last week, that's what we looked at. In the beginning of of September, I was actually able to share with you from Luke uh, chapter 13, where we see Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and the the synagogue leader is upset, and he kind of scolds the people, but Jesus kind of puts him in his place, and he says, no, 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 that's not the way that it should be. And, And I'm really excited because I feel like in that message, that was towards the better Uh, That was the end of the Better series, it was week 14, and basically in that, my challenge to you was that you should choose people over pride. And what I'm excited for is that today, we get to, to dive a little bit deeper into this idea or this concept of pride and being proud. Now if you're like me, that's a little bit like, you gotta put on your big boy pants and kind of endure that, because that is something that I feel like I've struggled with my entire life. I have always struggled with pride. I think that there's some, some people that their, their tendency is to, to lean more towards meekness, to, to lean more towards shy and quiet. That is not me at all. I am the polar opposite of that. I, if I have a tendency, it's to lean towards pride and arrogance. And I feel like I've been here long enough at this church that some of you have probably seen that and felt that and, and have been on the wrong side of that and for that, I am sorry. I am still a work in progress. And so as we dive into this, I think we need to understand that there is something about pride that makes us so that we do not want to or listen or or, we're going to get to that. Well, let me tease that out in just a little bit. But there's something about pride that obviously is evil and wrong. It's something that we need to not walk in. And so I want to continue this. So Jesus is basically, uh, chapter 14, I'm sorry, my mic keeps falling, so I apologize for that, guys. Um, so in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to the house of one of the Pharisees, and what he does is, the, the rulers are there, they're trying to entrap him. Am I way too hot? It's, I sound really loud right now. Am I too loud? Sorry, guys, I need to, I got a big head, so what happens is it just starts falling, and then they, they turn me up louder because it falls lower and lower. Sorry. All right. So Jesus is at one of the Pharisees' houses, the, the ruler of the, one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And it is kind of set to be the showdown, right? So basically, there's this man that they bring that is... Uh, needs healing, that he has uh, dropsy, that he has got this kind of retention of fluid and liquid within his body. And it's Sabbath, so everybody's kind of standing around waiting to see exactly what Jesus does. Again, the rules that the Pharisees have set in place, the laws of men, are that Jesus shouldn't heal on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. And again, this isn't the law that God has established, but it's the law of men. And so what they are doing is trying to entrap him. And so what does Jesus actually do? Jesus actually does the very thing that they think he's going to do. Jesus shows love. He shows care. He shows compassion. And he heals them. Instead of looking at this this person as a pawn, somebody that's just kind of in the middle of this game, Jesus heals them and allows him to leave. But as Jesus does that, he asks them a question to which they are silent. And as soon as he's done healing them, he rebukes them. As soon as he's done healing this man, he rebukes that group, and they're silent. Their silence isn't because of awe or amazement. Their silence is more because they don't know what to say. Their pride is not allowing them to see and to recognize that this is the Messiah, the one true king. And so Jesus then does the most awkward thing possible. So after this amazing thing where people are silenced, what do you think Jesus does? Jesus stays at the party right? Like, he just has this incredible thing. He heals somebody. It's awkward. It's silent. And Jesus is like, you guys hungry? Uh, I don't know what that transition was like, but I would love to see it. Like, if the disciples are in the room, is Peter in the back corner going like, dude, this is so awkward. Like, it's silent. And somehow we get to this next part where Jesus then begins his next kind of teaching, if you will, using them as a negative example. But it is so strange, like, does somebody come, like, even as we see this, because what we see in this, this first verse of of seven is that as Jesus comes in, he sees the way that they sit at the table, and from that, he begins to teach. He uses that as an example. So I, I wonder, is like somebody calling everybody to the table, like, they just missed what happened, and they come walking in like, hey, if you'd like to, you can come take your seat. What happened in here? I don't, Where'd the energy go? It feels really awkward. Like, I would love to have seen the transition that happened. And that is all speculation. All we see is that they are silent. And then in the next verse, Jesus begins to speak to them. And so uh, I want to go ahead and do that. If you want to turn in your Bible, you're welcome to do that or in your app. Uh, but we are going to be, again, looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11 today. And this story is really about choosing between humility or humiliation. If we were to bottom line this, that is what this, this message that Jesus is bringing, this parable, this story. Jesus is going, you can either choose option A, which is humility, or you can choose option B, which is humiliation. Ultimately, he wants us to choose option A, humility. But we get that choice. So, Luke chapter 14, verse 7. It says, Now he told them a parable. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the the places of honor saying to them, so here's what we have. Basically, the healing happens. Jesus kind of sticks around. The party's a little bit awkward, but then people start going to their seats, and what I want to do today is I want to try and model this and show this for you, okay? So I've actually got some childhood friends here. They're going to help me with this. I'm pretty excited for that. And I want you to see, I want you to get a really good visual of what's happening because we don't necessarily have places of honor in seats. Now if you, you are a male specifically, you might have your seat at home, right? Like how many men, you've got a lazy boy or you've got a certain spot on the couch where it's like that's, that's whether it's officially or unofficially, that's your spot. Does anybody? We're in church. Nobody wants to admit it. But I know half of you at least have your own seat, right? Like there's always usually the the spot where you sit. Some of you are in the same pew that you have sat for the last five years, right? Like that's just the way that we are as people. And so in a, a party such as this, in a banquet, there would be a seat of honor. Basically there would be this like you style couch Uh, a pretty big one depending on the size of the room, depending on the size or the finances of the person that's there. Basically this U style couch, or maybe multiple couches that make up a U with a small table in front of it. And basically at kind of the very head, the very bottom or top, however you wanna say that, of the U would be the most valued or honored seat in the house. Now that would be reserved for the most distinguished guest, or many times that would be the host's place specifically so we are going to have these kind of as our chairs again if this is you there'd be people on that side but just for our sake today we're going to use this as an illustration so this chair right here on my right this is going to be the most honored spot okay this one right here this is going to be where the host would be this would be the the most valuable person that's there the MVP of the meal um, but they would sit here in this spot. We're not going to have anybody sit there for now, but just remember that this is the place and the seat of honor, okay? Now I'm going to have my friends come out, on out, and they're going to help us with this, okay? So we have uh, my friends, there's, there's three of them. Um, I want to introduce you to Joe, okay? Um, I, I do want to say, um, before we get into this, these are not dolls, Okay? I don't want to hear or see any posts online about Ben brought his dolls to church, okay? These are not dolls. These are one-sixth scale, posable military action figures, okay? There is a big difference, people, okay? Do you, do you see this? this? This is a trigger finger. Ken doesn't have that, okay? He just has a flat hand like this guy. This, this. Anyway, that's a, he's, he's a cheaper Joe. We don't judge him for that. But these, these are not dolls. They're, they're one-sixth scale military poseable action figures, okay? That's what they are, okay? And a couple things with that, just, just we're getting this out of the way because I know that you're gonna laugh and you're gonna think it's funny, but um, G.I. Joes don't have accessories, okay? They have tools of war that are necessary for the mission that they're called to, okay? Also, if you're thinking, what are their names? They don't have names, their name is Joe. All three of them is Joe, Joe, and Joe, all right? They don't have names because to compromise their identity would be to compromise the mission and you never compromise the mission. All right? Some of you are just I'm, i know Maybe specifically ladies those that you that played with dolls. You just don't understand this So I'm trying to help inform you about this. Okay? The other thing is is that their clothes as far as I know They don't really change uh, They might but they are wearing the same exact clothing that they came out of the box with all right they are the Hasbro-issued military fatigues. That's what they wear, period. You don't need to change your clothes. That's, that's, these are action figures, they're not dolls, okay? So anyway, our friends Joe are going to help us out with this, okay? So just imagine that Joe is uh, our guests, right? So they are pretty excited. They want to sit as close to the honored guest as possible, right? So as whatever that looks like, as they're starting to gather around, they are starting to jockey for position, like, hey, Joe, your shoe's tied. What, no, my shoe's not tied. Oh, you got me, I'm going to that spot. And then when they finally get to their seats, uh, and this Joe, for some reason, he he doesn't sit. Uh, It was a war casualty, or my dog chewed him, I'm not sure. But um, it was a long time ago, I just found him in the box like that. So as they finally get to their seat, Now they're doing everything that they can to try and get the other person to leave. So this guy's going, hey, it's gonna be a long meal. You probably should go to the bathroom, right? Like, you know you don't wanna have to get up in the middle of that thing. And this Joe's like, "No, you're not gonna get me like that, man. Even if I do leave, I'm calling dibs. And dibs is like a, a legal term that means I get my seat. And he goes, no, 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 no. We play by you move your feet, you lose your seat. And then this Joe is going, no, 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 Joe, both of you should go to the bathroom. Both of you should not pay attention to what's going on. And they're like, shut up, Joe, because you're not even a real Joe. You got 10 hands. All right, you don't have a trigger finger. They're probably soft and you like moisturize them really well. And they're like, shut up, you're from China. No, you're from China. I bet it's stamped on your butt that says made in Taiwan. These guys are jockeying for position, why? Because ultimately if they can sit next to the person with the greatest honor, then their self-esteem, their value, their worth, their importance begins to climb, at least in their mind. So these guys are jockeying for position, going, no, 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 don't you have to leave? Hey, don't forget that I think I saw your wife outside. She she wanted to say something to you before we got into the meal. So you should probably go. And he's like, dude, I'm not falling for that. These guys are jockeying for their position, wanting that title, wanting that place of of position and prominence. And so it's time for them, the guests to be seated. They finally get their seat. And then think about it for a moment. How do you think each of these guys feels? Specifically this guy right here. He's in the, the second honored seat, right? Like, so this is number one, this is the host seat or the most honored guest. He's going, dude, I made it. I got my spot. What jokes do I need to share? Okay, what, what, now's my opportunity. Now I get to, to actually talk to so-and-so that I can actually share my thoughts and my opinions and my ideas. He's a captive audience. So now my prominence, my position, my place, man, I'm going to get somewhere. I'm going to get something from this. This is going to be awesome. He's feeling pretty confident. He's pretty, pretty, feeling pretty high. And what happens is, is Jesus sees all of this taking place. I don't know exactly what it looked like in there. I'm not sure if you know, one Pharisee made fun of the other Pharisee because they had soft baby hands. Like, I don't know if that's actually taking place. But basically, Jesus sees them jockeying for position, right? Pushing one another. It's this selfless or selfish attitude of going, I don't really care about where you sit, but I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my seat. I don't even care if you have a seat. I'm going to be right next to the person that I want to be next to. There's this pride that happens in this. And, and what's so amazing, and this is the religious folk, right? These are Pharisees. These are scribes. These are probably prominent, important people in that the the Jewish way of doing things, and Jesus is seeing all this going, man, these are the religious folk, and that doesn't look very godly. Jesus sees what's happening there, sees that they want the best position, the best seat, inconsiderate. They're pushing towards others, Number two over here is feeling pretty good. He, he, Jesus sees all, all that, and what he is about to teach through this parable is that if we don't operate in humility, then we will experience humiliation. So jumping back into the text. So we just read uh, verse 7. We're going to read 8 and 9 now. It says this. And he told them a parable. When he noticed how, uh, So he tells them this parable. This is verse 7. Told them a parable. Notice how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, "Give your place to this person," and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So again, going back to our guests, number two here is feeling pretty, pretty awesome. He's feeling like he's got his spot. He's got exactly what he wants. But all of a sudden, things are about to change. What the guests don't realize is that there's another person coming, and this one is more important than all of them. They're a little bit older in age, and maybe even more popular than these Joes would be. Little do they know that who is showing up but Wiley E. Coyote, all right? I know you're laughing, but I am working with the tools that I had, okay, people? I just I didn't have another GI Joe, I just had Wiley. So basically, he shows up and now all of a sudden if i'm the guest there's no way that i'm going to allow this prominent figure of society <laughs> one that has shaped children for years <laughs> there is no way that i'm going to let wild e sit in the worst seat now he's older he was created in the 40s these guys were in the 60s forget them he's got respect he's older So there's no way that I'm going to let him sit in the worst position. So what do I do as a host? I go, hey, buddy, I need you to go over here, all right? So you're going to go there. And Wiley E is going to sit right there, we're just going to shove him into that. Imagine how he feels right now. So he went from the second most important person in the room to now, does it even matter if he's here? Like, he's in the worst spot possible. He's not going to be able to share his jokes. He's not going to be able to give his sales pitch. He's not going to be able to, to talk about the things that he wanted to talk about. He's now in the worst seat that is in that room. And even the way that they did this, if depending on the size of the party or the, the size of the, the dinner or whatever it was, if you couldn't fit into the main room, there'd be a second room like the atrium that you would be placed in that room where the food and the drink and everything was far less superior. So imagine that, that our Joe here, he's being removed from his seat, but this seat isn't even here. Imagine now he's going, well, I can go home. What do I do? Do I I hang out in the atrium? That's where all the losers go. I don't want to go there. And so I want you to just kind of imagine what it would be like as they're jockeying for position, as they're fighting for it. Jesus says, hey, Don't take the seat of prominence, because what happens is that there will be humiliation in that. And uh, unfortunately, I feel like I have the most excellent, worst, like, example of this in my own life. I wish that it wasn't true, but it was. I have experienced kind of this exact thing. Basically, it was a couple years ago uh, with my wife and I. We were on vacation. Um, I grew up in New England, um, but I had never been to a Red Sox game, never been to Fenway Park. I lived about an hour south of Fenway, but just never did that. So as an adult, have a greater appreciation. I really wanted to go to Fenway. We were traveling up to Boston, and it just so happened that it was a weekend that the New York Yankees were playing the Red Sox, right? Huge rivalry, ticket sales are astronomically high, right? But it was literally one day that we could go, and they were at home, so I decided like, okay, I think that we should do this. So what I decided was that I was going to buy standing room only tickets. If you've ever done that, standing room only is, means that you don't actually get a seat. You can be anywhere you want inside the park, but you don't have access to a seat. Every seat that is there is accounted for. So you have to stand. That's why it's called standing room only. So I am cheap. That's what I decided to do. I was not going to spend the hundreds of dollars that it would have required to actually have a seat. I'm going, no, 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 no. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy our tickets for standing room only. We're going to make our way to the nosebleeds, and we're going to find some seats up there. At this time, it wasn't sold out. I don't know if that game ever did sell out. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. And so that was my plan and my strategy all along. So we get to the game, we get to the park. It's awesome. They get through the lineups. We're, we're standing in a great location. We're able to see the field and everything that's happening. Kind of have one of those, I don't even know what, they, they're like one of the countertops so we, we can lean up against, we can put our food and everything there. So we've got a great location. We get through the first inning and I'm like, okay, we're going to go see what's available. So we make our way up to like the the nosebleed sections and try and scope out an area that we think is empty. So find this spot, make our way over to it, sit down and we're like, man, I knew my plan would work. It was so awesome. But it wasn't, all right? Because you know, if you've ever done that, how it works is that generally five or 10 minutes later, 20 minutes, maybe 30 if you're lucky, somebody will show up and you're like, hey dude, I think you're in my seat. And I knew that that wasn't where I ought to be. I knew that I was supposed to be standing not sitting. So it wasn't going to be like, "No, that's not true. These are my seats." They're like, "Let, let me see your ticket. It says standing room only." So we get up and we leave and of course I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you would just we were trying to sit." And so we literally go to another section. And what do you think happens? The same exact thing happens. Another 5, 10 minutes, somebody shows up. And, And these were seats that I was like, by the second time, I was scoping out seats that had been empty for like 10 minutes. Like I was watching, making sure that somebody just didn't come back from the bathroom or whatever, that they were truly empty, or at least so they appeared. This happened about four times, and I can tell you that I don't remember a single thing from that baseball game. What I can tell you is the fear, maybe not fear, fear's a little bit... The anxiousness, kind of the heart pounding, like every time, it doesn't matter if they were coming towards my seat or not, every time somebody started to walk up or down that aisle, I thought, oh no, I'm in their seat. And every time what happened was there was embarrassment, there was humiliation, there was a little bit of shame. Why? Because I knew where I was supposed to be. I knew where I ought to be. I just didn't want to be where I ought to be. In a lot of ways, that's exactly what pride is, is that we don't want to be in the place that we know we're supposed to be in. So even as we look at this example, I think this Joe probably could understand and know that maybe he's not the most important person there. Or if he's operating in humility, he would understand that there's probably somebody more important coming, that if he chooses that seat that is going to end in humiliation, he's going to be asked to leave that he's going to have to find the worst seat, or he's going to, even worse, maybe just not be able to be a part of the banquet. And so this is what Jesus sees. He sees what's happening. He understands what's happening in their hearts, that they're jockeying for position, that they're looking for the best possible seat, the best outcome, and it's really about them. It's a selfishness. It's a pride. It's an arrogance that goes, no, I, I'm more important than you are. I, I've got this. I've got that. I, I'm prominent. I'm prominent. And so Jesus sees this. And the reality is, is that as I was thinking of this illustration, I really wanted to try and make this a little bit silly and a little bit obnoxious because I wonder if this is exactly the way God sees us. Like, it's kind of funny. We can laugh and joke. Like, they're G.I. Joes. Yes, they're dolls, right? Like, they're actually dolls. They're G.I. Joes. They're sitting up here. They don't, they don't crack jokes to one another. This is a little bit ridiculous and absurd, right? Right? And I wonder if that's exactly what Jesus is thinking as he's seeing this happen. I wonder if Jesus is going, you guys are missing it. You're completely missing the point. Jesus is going, you shouldn't take that, that place of, of prominence, of a position. You should instead choose a, a lesser seat. And here's the point that Jesus is ultimately trying to make is that pride is really evil. Pride is evil. But to be honest, in our culture, we tend to reward pride. Now, we don't call it pride, right? In our culture, what we call pride is other things. We tend to shroud it behind other things. We call it self-esteem. We call it confidence. We, We call it grit or determination. We can call it a lot of different things, but many times, if you strip everything away, what's left is that there's pride. And our culture tends to celebrate pride. Apparently, from at least what Jesus is seeing, that these Pharisees were operating in pride as well. That nobody had called them out, that the, that the host didn't say, hey guys, this is actually the way that it is. Like, there's, there could have been like a, a seating chart like they do at every banquet, right? Or at every wedding. Like, you know where you're seated because there's a little card that tells you where you should be. But this is something that they just let it be. And so when left to our own devices, pride is natural. We don't have to be taught how to be prideful, right? We don't have to be taught how to, how to care for our own wants or needs. We just do that by default. And humility, on the other hand, while, while pride is natural, humility, on the other hand, is supernatural. And that's what Jesus is actually calling us to do, is to not walk in, in pride, but to walk in humility. And again, option A and B, uh, Jesus wants us to walk being humble, or if we, don't, if we aren't humble in humility, then we're going to be, um, i just completely blanked on the word. We will be um, humiliated. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Maybe Jesus is teaching me something right now, too. <laughs> like, yeah, you think you're good, huh? Right, boom. Anyway. So this is what happens. And, and basically, I think that we wrap pride in other things. We, we look at it as other things, and we don't think about it. We, we tend to say things like, well, I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. Or, or we think, or maybe even we say, well, if they, if they actually saw or understood things the way that I see or understood things, they would probably do it my way, right? We tend to justify it and wrap our, our own thoughts around it and make it prettier than what it actually is. But if we strip that away, We have to recognize pride for pride. We have to see it for what it is. It's self-seeking, and it's not part of the kingdom of God. It's part of our culture, but we call it other things. When we think or say, you know, some of us can think or say that if you want to achieve something, if you want to succeed, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be successful, then you need to have more self-esteem or drive or grit or more determination, and that really ultimately is pride. And pride is the root of all sin thinking that we don't need anyone else, that we don't need anything, anyone. We can just do it our way. And that's what Jesus is, is confronting here. And, and what I want to do is I've, I want to give you a little pride test. This will be really quick. Um, you can actually kind of do this in your mind. You can just take scores. Ten questions. They're one each. I'll tell you how the scoring works as soon as we're done. Um, but basically, I've got 10 things that I want you to kind of judge for yourself, don't share with your neighbor, and definitely, neighbors, don't elbow anybody, all right? Because that would be two points right there, right? We're just going to add two points to the scoring. If you're like, huh, huh, that's you, don't do that, all right? This is about you right now. So here we go, pride test. Everything's one point unless you elbow a neighbor. Number one, do you long for a lot of attention? do you long for a lot of attention and this isn't my list i found this online you can probably google it and find it number 2 do you become jealous or critical of people who succeed number 3 do you always have to win like always like if you're playing a board game you're cheating if you're cheating on monopoly do you got issues okay like do you always have to win do you have a pattern of lying if you do have a pattern of lying, you have to be honest right now, you can't lie about the pattern of lying because that doesn't work. That would be two points too, okay? Number five, do you have a hard time acknowledging you were wrong? just got a little quieter. I know it did for me as I first read it. Do you have, do you have a lot of conflicts with other people? It's interesting because while somebody that's proud and somebody that's humble might have some conflicts, Usually, two humble people don't have many conflicts. <laughs> Number seven, do you cut in line at the store, the airport, or anywhere while driving? Generally, do you cut in line anywhere? And I think that we probably count, you know, when the light goes on for, like, the new, new place, and you definitely know that you're not, like, the first one that should be over there, so you're like, oh, just quickly, I do that time. Number eight, do you get upset when people don't honor your achievements? Number nine, do you tend towards an attitude of entitlement or thankfulness? Number ten, do you honestly feel you are basically a good person and superior to them? I don't think that you're going to actually post that anywhere. You're not going to actually say that probably out loud. But is that a thought process that you might have? Again, basically the way that we're scoring this is is everything is one question or one point. And everything, every question that you would say yes or maybe, maybe is kind of a yes in this situation, um, add a point. So 0 to 10 is your possible score. Out of that, if you have a 0 to 10, you're prideful. If you have a 0, you're really, really prideful. That's how the scoring works here. So 0 to 10, you're prideful. If you're like me and you scored a 26 the first time through this, should probably talk to somebody. <laughs> and so in this parable, what we see Jesus is telling us what not to do. To don't sit in a place of honor. Don't be proud. Don't be prideful. Don't, don't do that because if you do, there'll be humiliation that's attached to that. And so finishing out this text, Luke 14, 10, and 11, it says this. It says, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, He will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. For Jesus is saying that you ought to know where you, you know where you ought to be. And I think that that's the biggest part of pride is knowing where we ought to be, not where we want to be. So imagine if if Joe comes in first, right? These guys aren't here yet. Joe decides, hey, you know what? I'm I'm no one important. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take my seat here. And then all the other friends kind of trickle in. We got Wiley. We got Joe and Joe. They trickle in now. If the guest or the host comes in and he goes, oh Joe, now come on, I want you to sit here. Now again, the visual we just read this, but in front of everyone, he's now exalted. Right? He's now lifted up. Now it's not arrogance or pride that he's seen for, but he's seen and known for his humility. And in that, the host goes, no, 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 your place is not at the bottom, your place is up here. And we're kind of done with our, our friends over here for now. And so what this is, is that Jesus is giving us a very critical piece of the way that the kingdom of God operates. The kingdom of God operates in the way that if you choose to be prideful, you're going to be knocked down. But if you choose humility, you will be exalted. That is the way that the kingdom of God works. It doesn't work for jockeying for position, for trying to get what you want and, and trying to, to sit where you want to sit and do what you want to do and push, 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 be bold because it's worked for me though thus far in life. Because the reality is that if you are pretty proud, the, the truth is, is that you probably have seen maybe the fruit of being pushy and proud, right? The truth is, is, that a lot of people aren't necessarily interested in creating conflict, so you may have learned that if you push hard enough, other people will just back down. So you may go, man, it's worked for me those, thus far. That's pride. That's pride. Humility is knowing your place, knowing where you ought to be, not where you want to be. And honestly, at that Red Sox game, that game would have been an awesome game to watch, and I would have remembered the actual game that we attended if I had just stayed where I knew I ought to be. If I had just stayed in that first spot where we had a great view of the park, where we had a counter to lean up against, where we could put food and everything, if I had just stayed there, I would have so much more enjoyed that game. But instead, I d- dragged my wife around the entire like, top, top deck <laughs> Like literally, as we left one section out of the embarrassment, we would go like two sections over. So I literally viewed the entire top of Fenway Park. But I would have remembered that so much better if I just stayed where I knew I was supposed to be. And really that's, I think that that's what Jesus is saying through this. He's saying, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Verse 11 is the most critical part, again, because what we see is the way that the kingdom of God operates. So how do we grow in humility? How, how do we actually do that? Because it is not going, hmm, I don't have humility. I'm going to focus on humility. Wow, I'm so much better at humility. The second that you do that, you make it about you again, and so therefore you're not growing in humility. Humility is kind of this elusive thing, right? Because the second that you bring up humility, it's kind of gone, right? It's already left the room. True humility is not going to happen as you talk about being more humble. The way that you actually grow in humility is to focus on Jesus, to focus on him. Because humility is a byproduct of knowing your Lord and Savior and honestly knowing your place before him. See, what, what pride does is, whether we recognize it or not, is that what pride does is it makes us sit in this place where I am the most important. We may think that we're in chair two or three or four, but really when we're prideful, we sit in a place that only the host or most honored guest deserves. Really, this is a place that Jesus and God belong and not us. This is not our spot. This is not, not where we should be. And when we focus on where we ought to be, not on where we want to be, we recognize who we are in light of who Christ is. And if you do that, then you begin to understand, I don't even deserve to be in the same room as Him. I don't deserve to sit in a seat. I should be falling at his feet in worship and adoration. I am nothing when looking at my God, my Savior the one who created all things, who spoke the world into existence. So how you grow in humility is to not focus on humility, but focus on Jesus. And as you do that, you will begin to reap the benefit of knowing your place and being comfortable with it. Realize where you ought to be and not where you want to be. When you recognize that, you you don't deserve a place at God's banquet. And you don't deserve to be in the same room, room with Jesus. True humility grows. Humility is a byproduct of focusing our attention on Jesus and knowing our true place. Our desire should be to know Jesus, to look at the life of Jesus, to live by the power of Jesus, and as a result, be able to start to demonstrate a little bit more of the character of Jesus, which was humility. And I want to go ahead and call up the worship team if they want to come in. And start setting up. I want to read to you, basically, uh, Philippians chapter 2. And in it, uh, Paul writes what is, for me, some of the most challenging verses in Scripture. And I'm so curious if I was actually able to accomplish what Paul is writing in this. I am so curious if we as a church, as we as a community, we as a people, if we were to start to do this, I am so curious what our world would look like. If we could actually do what Philippians chapter 2 says. What would our world look like? Uh, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. Uh, just a couple final thoughts in that before reading this and then transitioning. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. And it's so opposite of our culture. It's so ingrained in us, in this culture. And again, we call it so many other different names. Pride is natural, but humility is supernatural. Supernatural. As someone who struggles with pride, man, I want to live out these verses. So let me read this to you, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on and close in a song. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this. It says, So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you want to be exalted, then you you need to humble yourself. Not that you do it for that reason. You, You should draw closer to Christ, and as you do that, you will experience what true humility is like. You will know your place in front of a perfect and holy God. So my challenge for us is that, is that we wouldn't be people that choose the best seats, that we wouldn't choose to jockey for position, that we wouldn't be so bold and pushy that we would want what we want, but that we would choose to be humble people. See, he, here's the thing. I think that pride is something that you can accomplish in the sense that you're like, yep, I'm prideful. Check that off the list. But humility is something that you pursue. And that pursuit is pursuing Jesus. It's something that you never accomplish on this side of eternity. But as you pursue, pursue Jesus, that humility begins to grow more and more. And so today, what we, we're going to do, at, as we clo- close out, uh, we're going to sing a, a song called The Blessing. And, and in this, the... the the title is blessing because that's exactly what it is these words are taken directly from scripture and it's meant to be sung as a blessing over god's people and so today as we close out this is our final song that we'll do but we also want it to be kind of a song of prayer over josh and Julie and the roberts as they make their way to florida as this is their last sunday with us so as we sing this song i'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand if you would right now to join us in that so as we sing this song it's not just our closing song We are going to basically pray out after this is done, and then Bill Hostetter is going to kind of give us some next steps on how we're actually going to do the vote, and then some information about the um, reception to follow. But but basically, as we sing the song, we want you to recognize that this is how we're closing out, but also it's a song of prayer over the Roberts family. So if you would, let's, let's just sing this out.
2: declaration may we believe that that we have a loving God who is for us and may we pray that prayer of blessing over the
1: Roberts as they begin to make their transition actually at this time I'd like to invite Bill Hostetter up he's one of our elders just to help us in this transition
3: thank you Kristen okay what we are about to do is a formality that uh, the ECO Presbytery, which CLC belongs to, is re- well they're requiring that of us. So, uh, it's, what we're going to vote is uh, to dissolve the pastoral care between CLC, Josh, and ECO at Josh's request. So if you're in the sanctuary, it's a simple voice vote. If you're in the uh, parking lot, if you're in your car, just toot your horn, and uh, there's an elder out there that will uh, note that. And if you're in your uh, chair in the parking lot, just a hearty yay so that, so that it can be heard. If you're online, um, just go in the chat section and uh, uh, put, make your vote known there. That would be appreciated and it would be noted. So with that being said, here we go. We're voting to dissolve the pastoral care between CLC, Josh, and Eco at Josh's request. So I'm asking all of you to vote yay for the affirmative uh, vote on that. All in favor? Opposed, same sign. OK, the vote passes. So uh, thank you for your participation in that regard. And kindly join me and the elders and staff and and the rest of us uh, for a reception afterwards to, uh, to get a chance to honor Josh. Josh, we appreciate uh, what you've, uh, we appreciate your leadership and uh, the things you have done for us over the last number of years. So with that, thank you.
1: We'd love for you all to
2: join us in the foyer, in the big yellow mug.
1: There's some goodies out there just to celebrate and thank Josh and the Roberts for all they've done in the last few years. So we're going to sing an outro. You're more than welcome to stay for Or if you'd like to make your way out this time, you're also more than welcome to do so.
2: May favor be upon you and generations the family, your children, children children, children.
0: song you are the well the one i'm drawing from you are my refuge my whole life long where else would i go surely my god